The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. The darkness has found you. Season 4, Episode 1. I'm your host, Jason Hill, and I'm thrilled you could join me tonight. And, once again, we have come full circle. Oh yes indeed. With mostly never-before-heard thrills, chills, and kills. And we will certainly get to those post-haste. But first, we've got a not-so-little story to wrap up. That's right. Tonight... Get ready for part two and the rip-roaring conclusion to Kevin David Anderson's magnum lycanthropus, Candy with a K. When we last left our heroes, Earl and Dale, Earl's number one boo, the titular Candy with a K, needed a little help keeping collegiate son Carl on the straight and narrow. Simple enough for those two burly brothers-in-arms, but it's not until they meet Carl's new girlfriend that things start to get hairy. Because she's a werewolf. For part one of Candy with the K, do be sure to check out last week's episode and the season three finale. However, if you're all caught up, sit back, relax, and get ready for another semester of werewolf school. You're listening to the standard edition of this program, If you'd like to show your support and enjoy ad-free versions of this and all our other episodes, as well as hundreds of tales from our audio archives dating back to 2012, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today to get instant access from our friends at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Thank you for your support. Now... Allow me to escort you to a place where the sun dies, and nightmares come to life, where those who seek the darkness need look no further. Welcome, listener, to the Horror Hill. You haven't found the darkness. The darkness 
has found you. And now, without further ado, from author Kevin David Anderson, I give you part two of Candy with a K. Part four, Alchemy and Walgreens. Steve managed to get Dale, Earl, and Carl off campus without a fuss. They made plans to meet up later in the Tower District, where Dale hoped to put an end to Miss Lana and whatever hold she had on Carl. After making a few purchases at a pawn shop, they got something for Carl to eat. A burger, fries, shake, and onion rings. Carl seemed a good sort, every bit his mother's son. Polite, well-spoken, and seemed to respect his elders. He reminded Dale of his own boy. Not Zol, but equally soft-spoken, and had a kindness about him. And what are we doing here? Earl said. Dale rounded the parking lot of a shopping center and headed toward the back. He parked the truck, and before the air brakes had stopped hissing, he said, You and Carl unhook the trailers, and I'll meet you back here in ten. Where are you off to? Oh, just a little recon. See you in a few. Dale jumped out and slammed the door. A few phone calls had helped him narrow things down to this location, but it was his knowledge of who they were seeking that guided his next few moves. He scanned the parking lot, and it didn't take long to find a ride that fit the bill. He thought for a moment that it was too obvious. Then, he remembered that the person he was looking for wasn't wise, just knowledgeable. And there was a difference. After completing his task, he headed back to the truck, pleased to see that Carl and Earl had set the trailers up on stilts, wheels were locked, and they were sitting back in the cab. Dale jumped on in, reached for a rag under his seat, and whipped the black grease from his fingers. Should I even ask? Earl said. You could, but time is a-wasting, Dale said, and turned to the rear compartment. Hey, Carl, I need you to stay here. Earl and I'll be right back. Carl popped an onion ring in his mouth and nodded. Earl looked out into the parking lot. I'm gonna find him here? Dale nodded. Let me do the talking. Earl pointed to the nearest retail store, the liquor barn. In there? No, over there. Dale pointed at the drugstore across the way. Walgreens? You're telling me there's an alchemist at Walgreens? Everybody's got to make a living, Earl. He's a pharmacist. What's an alchemist? Carl said, still chewing. Earl turned around. It's a kind of chemist that uses a science not many folks take stock in anymore. Carl picked up another onion ring and raised an eyebrow. What? Just Google it, Dale said, stepping out of the cab. Come on, Earl. It's getting dark. I'm prettier in the dark, Earl said. You sit tight, Carl. We'll be right back. The two large men headed across the parking lot side by side. Cars immediately stopped when they stepped in their path, not because it was the law in California, but more likely the drivers dreaded the beating they might receive if they hit either of them, not to mention the damage to their cars. An alchemist at the Walgreens. In full view, everybody? Earl said. Well, they're not as flamboyant as they used to be. Dale said. 
Besides, this isn't a full-fledged alchemist, just an apprentice, in hiding, or as a master, dead. Old age? Nope. Killed by his own apprentice. Well, that's just disrespectful, Earl said. Long story? Very. Ain't they all? As they approached the entrance, four large men, each bigger than the next, moved through the automatic doors. Cases of domestic beer were under their beefy arms. Dale shot them a glare. Hard. Stone. Ice. The men moved fast. Quick stepped it over to four motorcycles illegally parked in the handicapped stalls and wasted no time in firing them up. Hey, look there, Earl said. It's some of them Satan fellas we had to tussle with a while back. You think they remember us? Speeding away, one of the four men turned back and held up a middle finger. Fuck you, assholes! Earl smiled. Yeah, they remember us just fine. That's the second time I've been flipped off today, Dale said, stepping through the automatic doors. I'm beginning to think that Fresno is not that friendly. It's not Fresno, it's you, Earl said. Hell, first time I met you, I wanted to flip you off. You did flip me off. Oh, yeah, Earl said as they moved to the candy aisle. You just don't put out that friendly vibe, you know? I have you for that, Dale said, grabbing a Heath bar. My natural joviality in no way counteracts your sourpussness. Dale moved toward the pharmacy, scanning the faces behind the counter. I mean, besides me, how many friends do you really have? I have lots of friends, Dale said. Occupational acquaintances, underworld associates, and people that are sociable with you because they're afraid not to be don't count. Dale scowled at Earl, then turned his attention back to the people in white coats behind the counter, his eyes locked on his target. Hey, Patel, Dale said in a tone that could be heard throughout Walgreens. A young olive-skinned man looked up from his labors. His eyes went white, and his skin tone lightened by at least three shades. He dropped a tray full of pills and darted to the back. A rear door was flung open, and he was gone. You see, right there, Earl said, gesturing to the back door, now slowly closing. Case in point. I take it you've met. We've had dealings, Dale said, digging out his wallet. No shit. Dale tossed a dollar on the counter, then held up the Heath bar to the remaining, yet stunned, pharmacists. Y'all have a nice day, Dale said, and headed back toward the entrance. See? That could be friendly. Earl rolled his eyes. Should we move a little faster? No, Dale said. I know where he's going. They stepped back into the parking lot and headed for a shaded corner. Under an elm tree was a black Mercedes-Benz Sprinter. Long, extended cargo van. New. Flashy. Behind the wheel, Shapkush Patel, former alchemist apprentice and a man on the council's most watched list, desperately tried to start the van. He yelled something inaudible, then put his forehead on the steering wheel. Dale strolled up to the driver's side and knocked on the glass. The apprentice sighed, 
then rolled the window down. He looked at Dale and said, Disconnected my battery cable. Yep, Dale said. Please, Mr. Dale, I had no idea it would go down like that. All the planets were in line and nothing indicated... Hey! Dale barked. Shut it a minute. I ain't here to revisit ancient history and as much as I want to wring your neck, I got bigger problems than you. Shapkosh looked a little relieved. Dale nodded, then grabbed Earl's wrist and held up his friend's forearm so Shapkosh could look. The apprentice's eyes became thoughtful, taking in the long scratches that now had tiny black hairs protruding from the wound. He stepped from the van. When did it happen? A few hours ago, Earl said. The itch is like... We got another case back in my cab, Dale said. Young man and chewed on for a while. Removing a pair of reading glasses from an inside pocket of his pharmacist's coat, Shapkosh more closely examined Earl's arm. And does the other one have the same growth? He touched one of the hairs with his index finger. Not that I can see, Dale said. He removed his glasses. It is good. For him, not you, sir, Shapkosh said to Earl. Your body seems to be accepting the infection very rapidly, metastasizing at an accelerated rate. Well, none of that sounds good, Earl said. Shopkosh pointed to an area that had not been scratched just below Earl's elbow. You see here? Even more growth. It's my Native American heritage, Earl said. My people have always been touched by the ways of the skinwalker and shapeshifter. You were adopted... Dale scoffed. So, you're here for puppy juice, Sharpkosh said. Dale nodded. How long? Oh, an hour or so. If you have what I need. We picked up silver at a pawn shop. A lot. It's in the cab. We're going to need quite a lot. Sharpkosh took a step back and looked Earl up and down. How much do you weigh? Earl sucked in his gut. I fluctuate. 285 to 290. Shapkosh didn't seem convinced. Damn it, Earl. He's not fitting you for a prom dress, Dale said. This is your life we're talking about. Tell the man how much you weigh. Fine. 340, Earl said. Mm, 350 after a nice lunch. Jesus, Dale said. I am definitely getting you a treadmill for Christmas. Don't you dare. Gentlemen, Shapkosh chimed in. How much does the other one weigh? Um, 200, Dale said. Maybe 210. I'll go fetch him in the silver. Why don't you get started? How's he gonna do that? Earl said. Don't he need to go to a lab or something? Dale put his hand on the van. What do you think this is? He turned to Shapkosh. A Mercedes? Really? Not very stealthy for a man who doesn't want to be found. I like a bit of style, so shoot me. Maybe later, Dale said. Get started. Shapkos slid open the side door to the van and stepped inside. Dale turned to go, but Shapkos poked his head out and said, Mr. Dale, if I do this for you, are we good? You and me? Dale narrowed his eyes. We're miles away from good, Shapkosh. 
If you even... Dale! Earl snapped, cutting him off. Earl faced Dale and smiled wide. Smile. Friendly. Be nice. Dale took a deep breath. He looked at Shoutkosh, forced a tight-lipped smile. Do this for me, and I will definitely not kill you today. Shapkos nodded. That works for me, Shapkos said, then disappeared into his lab. Earl put his hand on Dale's shoulders. You see, you're smiling, making friends, not killing folks, turning over a new leaf. Keep this up, and by this time next month, I could probably throw you a party and have people actually show up. Just watch him, Dale said. Stay close. Roger that. I'll get Carr on the silver. Be back in ten. Hey, you, you gonna eat that? Earl said, pointing at the Heath bar in Dale's hand. How much do you weigh? Dale said. Okay, that's just mean. Dale turned and walked away. You see if I throw you a party now. The parking lot lights were flittering to life as the sun fell behind the surrounding hills. Lycanthropes didn't necessarily have any advantages at night other than the ones most predators enjoyed under the cover of darkness. But, as the sun sunk, so did this feeling in his stomach. It burned, made him angry, very angry, and he knew why. That fang-sporting bitch had just hurt his friend, his only friend, his best friend. She was going to die with his boot on her face, bleeding and screaming. Jeez, Dale caught himself. That was some dark shit. Maybe Earl's onto something. Maybe I need to lighten up and smile more. He reached the cab and pulled the door open. The feeling in his stomach instantly got worse. The cab was empty. No onion rings. No Carl. God damn it! He slammed the door. He had grossly underestimated the hold Fangzilla had on the poor kid. Back to the darkness. Bitch is gonna die. Bleeding. Screaming. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. 
Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Part 5. Side Effects and Cookies. Is it going to hurt? Earl said, eyes locked in the large gauge needle. Shoutkosh nodded. Oh yes, quite a lot really. And uh, how many of these shots do I need? Three over the next 24 hours. Shoutkosh moved the needle toward Earl's arm, starting with this one. Wait, wait! Earl covered his forearm. Are there any side effects? Oh, many. Blurred vision, nausea, vomiting, slurred speech, painful urination, bleeding, paralysis, loss of consciousness, possible coma, and intestinal bloating. Christ, that sounds like a party I don't want to go to. What are the positive effects then? Dale put a hand on Earl's shoulder. We don't have to shave your entire body every other day. Oh, yeah. Earl uncovered his arm. On the positive side, there is temporary immunity, Shoutcoach added. For the next 72 hours, give or take an hour, you cannot be reinfected by the lichen virus. And how's mine coming? Dale asked. Shoutcoach looked over at a digital timer counting down. Just a few more minutes. You getting some immunity shots too? Earl said. Not shots, I can take mine orally. So... I get three painful shots, and you get to take a pill. Mr. Earl, your situations are very different, Shapkosh said. He has not been infected, but as for you... Shapkosh gestured to Earl's scratched arm. So much thick black hair was protruding from the wound that the original scratches were no longer visible. Long strands were also emerging from his bicep, his shoulder and up and down the backside of his arm. Jesus, Earl, take the goddamn shot already. Fine, Earl said, laying his forearm out flat on the table. What about Carl? You got puppy juice ready for him? Shapkosh prepped Earl's shot, cleaning out any air bubbles. Already, a little different than yours, not as many side effects. Two shots, a heavy dose, then a follow-up booster. He is young, in good shape, and his infection, from what Mr. Dale described, is unlike yours. How so? Your young friend Carl was a planned infection, an attempt at breeding. Yours was not. Well, what's the difference? Earl said. Well, how can I explain? Shapkosh said. Imagine a young couple planning to have a child. They prepare a home, a room, get their finances in order, take parenting classes. Ideally, it is a slow process, much of it occurring even before fertilization. Okay. That was Carl. You, Mr. Earl, were an accident. Dale grinned. A sloppy, drunken one-night stand. Didn't even get her name. Shut it, Earl snapped at Dale. Accident or not, isn't the result the same? Shapkosh nodded. 
Yes, but we aren't concerned with the result. This infection is not going full term. The puppy juice, as you like to call it, is the abortion, and the mixture of the antidote is different based on the intent of the infection. I still don't understand. Just take your morning after shot like a man, Dale said. You know what, partner? I have just... Shapkosh quickly stuck the needle deep into Earl's vein. A hail of obscenity shot from Earl's mouth. Some made sense. Many did not. When the needle was empty, Shapkosh withdrew it, sliding his chair away from the table. Earl scowled at the alchemist apprentice. Dale felt the sudden need to protect the young man as Earl started to rise. He put a hand on Earl's shoulder and gently pushed him back in his seat. How you doing, old friend? Oh, I'm just Dougie, Earl snapped. The timer went off behind them. Shapkosh stood, turned it off, then moved into a small kitchenette inside his lab. He opened an oven door and pulled forward a rack with four chocolate chip cookies. All ready, Mr. Dale? Are you shitting me? Earl said. Your medicine is cookies. Well, Shabcoast usually puts in brownies, but I don't care for brownies. Too rich, Dale said. Earl covered his arm with a hairy hand. Uh, all kinds of hate you right now. Shabcoast prepared Carl's shots for travel while Dale walked Earl to their truck. Still reeling from his first shot, walking in a straight line was a task for Earl. And even though Dale believed he had a firm grip on his friend, they almost went down twice, like two unattractive barflies stepping out of a pub at half-past closing. I need to rest, Earl said, still a hundred yards from the trunk. He bent over and put his hands on his knees. He looked like a man in need of a good, deep, God-fearing puke. Dale put a hand on his back. What's going on? Dizziness. Nausea. My f- feet are like jello. Feels like there's a million bugs crawling around on my skeleton. Just to make things extra special, every so often I get the sensation that I've peed myself. Earl looked up at Dale. I haven't. Have I? Dale shook his head. I'll keep you posted. You do that. Earl stood, and they got moving again. That's all I need. You know how hard it's going to be to find adult divers in my size. Dale smiled, glad that his friend's sense of humor was trying to come back. It had been absent in the hour since Shaptkosh stuck him, and it was encouraging that Earl could walk, or at least stagger now. But Earl would have to be able to do much more than that if he was going to be of any use. At the moment, he was 350 pounds of dead weight and Dale debated whether or not to set him up in a motel and go take on the pack by himself. They reached the truck and Dale opened the cab. Earl gazed up into the compartment. Who the hell put my seat all the way up there? Are you going to make it, partner? Dale said. There ain't no shame in taking the night off. No, sir. <clears throat> Earl said. I got a date with one hair of bitch. We are definitely gonna dance. Dale slapped Earl on the back. And cowboy up. Earl grabbed the door, put his foot on the runner, and pulled himself inside. 
It was a slow process, but after a half a minute, Earl was in the seat. I think you should drive. That's a good call, Dale said. Earl suddenly shut his eyes, shook his head, then blinked several times. You good? Everything just went purple. Earl continued blinking, then gazed down at Dale. Jeez. You look like a Teletubby, but not any one of the cute ones. Mr. Dale, Shapkos said as he approached. Dale turned and lowered his voice. Is Earl going to be all right? Shapkos's face didn't exude confidence. I have given him the biggest dose possible, an amount that would kill most men. If he survives the next few hours, if... When he gets through the next few hours and receives his second shot, he will be through the worst of it. Until then, no meat. What do you mean, no meat? I recommend he stay away from meat for the next two days. Flesh of any kind will only reinvigorate the virus. Dale smiled. That's gonna be fun. Shapkosh gave Dale the rest of the shots. Carl's in a red velvet bag and Earl's in a gray, and explained how to use them. At Dale's request, Shaptkosh formulated Carl's first shot to not only begin the reversal of the lichen virus, but knock him out as well. Dale tossed them in the cab and checked on Earl. His friend was swatting at the space in front of him, as if chasing a large butterfly that only he could see. Obviously reading concern on Dale's face, Shaptkosh said, The side effect should dissipate in the next few hours. Dale ran a hand over his face, then glared at the alchemist's apprentice. If he dies, I will find you. Shapkosh took a step back. I have done everything you asked and more. Are we quite through, Mr. Dale? After what you've done, Dale pointed a finger like a gun. I'll let you know when. Hey... Tanky Winky, Earl shouted. Dale turned. What? Earl mouthed the words, Be nice. Dale took a deep breath and turned back to Shapkosh. I do appreciate what you've done for my friend, as he is fond of pointing out he's the only one I got. Shapkosh nodded. Sometimes one is enough. Dale thought he saw loneliness in the young apprentice's eyes. On the run, terrified of being discovered, wasn't the kind of lifestyle that allowed many friendship opportunities. Dale put a hand on his shoulder, gently turned him, and started walking back toward Walgreens. I probably shouldn't tell you this, but the council knows where you are. Shaptkosh's eyes went wide, looking ten times more terrified than when he first saw Dale in the pharmacy. Are you sure? Dale nodded. How do you think I found you? They owe me a few favors. Seems they've had eyes on you for a while. Shit, Shapkosh mumbled. Why haven't they come to collect you? I've no idea. I gave up trying to understand them years ago. But the long and the short of it is, you need to move on. Damn, Shapkosh looked at the Walgreens. I really like that job. They had benefits. Anything else I need to know about Earl's care over the next few days? 
Shapthor shook his head. There is one thing. I debated if I should tell you because I don't know what it means. Do tell. The hair samples I examined from your friend's arm were certainly lichen in nature. Had all the shapeshifter markers. But they were different. Different. How? As I said, I'm not sure, but I want to say the markers were inversed. Almost as if they ran contrary to how they should. I've found nothing like it in the records. Dale shook his head. Will it affect your cure? My formulation is based on the hair sample, so I was able to constitute the antidote based on the abnormalities. It will work. Dale tried to gauge Shaft cautious confidence in his own words. He figured it was about 50-50. The young apprentice had done his level best, or at least truly believed he had. Fair enough. Dale started to say goodbye as Shabtkosh pulled a card from his pocket and held it out. Mr. Dale, should you ever want to find me? Dale took the card. It was blank, on both sides. It will take a day or so for the message to get to me, but I will get it. Dale didn't have the energy to ask how the card worked, so he pocketed it and shook Shabtkosh's hand. I do hope I never see you again, Mr. Dale. Huh. Right back at you, kid. Dale turned off of Van Ness Avenue onto Olive Street, the main commercial drag of the Tower District. He looked at his watch. 10.30 p.m. We're early. Maybe we could cruise around and find them biker fellas. I could use a little warm-up before the main event, Earl said. I'm not in the mood to get into a fight just for fun. <sighs> Never are. Earl folded his arms. Is that glass jaw of yours? What? Dale said, looking for a place to park. I can take a punch. No, sir. Remember that guy in Detroit? Put you down with one little love tap? What guy? You know, that half-mechanical feller. That was a cyborg, an eight-foot-tall, experimental, clinically insane cyborg. And he nearly killed both of us. Excuses, excuses. You got your sissy jaw, Earl said. Dale downshifted and turned into a parking lot. He searched for a dark corner, but the trendy neighborhood was well lit with neon and strings of white lights sewn into the trees and over the outdoor cafes. The marquee of the Tower Theater, with its neon highlights, was the district's centerpiece. A beacon chasing away the darkness and illuminating the crowds of college-age people moving up and down the sidewalks. Along a cinder block wall, tree branches from residential properties hung over the parking lot like a canopy. Dale slipped the truck underneath, tucked away like a car in a garage. Hey, that looks like Steve. Earl said. Dale engaged the brakes and looked across the lot. Two figures walked toward the cab. Is that kid with him? Earl nodded. Yep. He opened his door as they approached. Howdy. Hey, guys, Steve said. I brought dinner. Oh, thank you, Jesus, Earl said. Dale jumped down, then walked around and looked at Theo. Sparky, you don't have to be here. In fact, I'd much appreciate it if you weren't. My name is Theo, and I can help. How so? 
club, the Blue Oyster. I know it really well. I know the owner, one of the bartenders, even some of the band managers. I know where the exits are. There are only two, by the way. Front and back. Dale thought for a moment. His first impression of this kid was the typical, apathetic, disinterested in anything not deemed hip and as uninvolved with the surroundings as everyone else in his generation. But, maybe. Why do you want to help? You hardly know, Carl. True, but I have some bulldog pride. I like the sports and basketball. Carl plays football, Earl said. What's the difference? Theo said. Look, those things came onto my campus, my home, and they messed with a classmate. And, and, Dale said, this is the most exciting thing that's ever happened to me. Ever. So, please let me help. Dale looked at Steve, who had ditched his campus police uniform for street clothes, jeans, Fresno State t-shirt, canvas jacket. Steve met his look with a shrug. Dale peered up at Earl, who was eyeing the bag of food in Steve's hand. Well, what do you think, old man? I think the kid knows the lay of the land far too well to be sent home. We should use him. At the very least, scout the inside for us. Oh, Theo interjected. I started that already. Carl is at the bar. Some of his sports friends are at a table just behind him. Teammates? I assume. They're students and hella big. Well, I have to deal with them first. No want them getting in the way of us taking Carl out of there. Dale ran a hand over his face, sighing deeply. All right, Sparky. You do what I say, when I say. No deviations. Savvy? Um, yes, of course. Earl tapped Theo with the shoulder. I am no mind. What he's saying is thank you for the assistance. It's much appreciated. Just be mindful and don't get yourself killed. Appreciated. Mindful. Don't get killed. Got it. Theo nodded. Um, what do we do now? Eat, Earl said, holding his hand out towards Steve. Steve reached into his bag, sorted the contents for a moment, then pulled out a sub sandwich and handed it up to Earl. This one's for you. I am hungrier than Oprah on a diet. Earl unwrapped a meatless hoagie. Now hold on. Something's missing here. That's what I was told to get you. A veggie sandwich. And who the hell told you that? Me, Dale said. Doctor's orders, you're on a veggie diet for a few days. Oh, hell no. Earl tossed the sandwich on the dashboard. I'll starve. Dale smiled. I worry about a lot of things, but you starving ain't one of them. Steve passed out the rest, then said... I'm going to get my car and bring it over. See you in a few. As Steve left, Dale met Theo's eyes. So, Carl's teammates. How many? Theo took a bite of his vegan wrap. Three, he swallowed. And Carl, I don't want to say he's drunk or anything, but he seems really out of it, you know? When his friends talked to him, he just kind of sat there and mumbled. Dale knew that Carl was very much in a newborn state. A trance-like condition that meant he would never be far from the pack. Or Lana. 
at least as long as she was alive, a condition Dale was itching to remedy. Y'all known as girlfriend's man goes on? Dale asked. Yeah, the Lon Chaney Juniors go on at 11. The who? Earl said. Her band, Lon Chaney Juniors. They're from Austin, I think. Named after some old-timey dead actor guy. Oh, jeez, Earl said. Wonder how we missed that. Maybe you didn't ask Miss Candy enough questions, Dale said. Now hold on, partner. Earl climbed down from the cab, shaky. Now you were there too. You could ask her more stuff. I mean, before that, Dale snapped. Before what? Earl took an unsteady step toward Dale. Dale regretted his last comment immediately and deeply. Ever since they left the coffee shop in Southern California, he'd wanted to ask Earl if his head was on straight with this woman. He'd watched silently over the years as his friend would get turned around, upside down and backwards over members of the opposite sex, never getting a fair shake in any relationship. But these were not the kinds of things they talked about. Beyond fighting the ever-growing darkness in the world, their conversations revolved around beer, chili, combustion engines, and then back to beer again. But Earl's heart was bigger than his brain, and even his stomach, which is saying something, and Dale couldn't help but wonder if Miss Candy, Candy with a K, was the real deal. You doing all this for the right reasons, Dale said. That bitch scratched me. She's gonna pay. Yeah, but before that, you know, no, I don't, Dale sighed. I just hope that if we're alive when this is over, that Miss Candy appreciates all you've done. That's all. Earl looked a little perturbed. No matter how this all shakes out, she ain't gonna know nothing close to the truth about what's about to happen. So that don't matter. I don't do dumb shit like this all for the appreciation of a lady. I'm not a fool. Then why do you do it? Man... You're stupid, Earl said. I do it because it's what I do. And you can't find anyone else as dumb as you to do it with. Well, that's... Okay, then. All right. For several beats, silence consumed the parking lot like nerve gas. As the two men stared at one another, two crickets chirped in the background but even they fell quiet after a few awkward seconds. Finally, clearly uncomfortable, Theo said, Should you guys hug or something? Shut up! Both men shouted at Theo as Steve walked up. What a miss. They were gonna hug, Theo said. We're not, Earl said. Ugh, not even, Dale added. We just agreed that he's stupid. When I'm dumb, Earl said. Well, Steve said, confusion dripping all over his face. Glad that's all cleared up. Can we go kill some werewolves now? Part 6 Nachos and Sensitive Nipples Happy to see that Steve had brought everything and then some, Dale told everyone the plan. There weren't any questions. It was pretty simple. 
Earl reached into the trunk of Steve's car and pulled out one of the Fresno State practice helmets. Oh man, I ain't worn one of these things since high school football. Oh yeah? Steve said. What position? Offensive line. Well, I figured that, but what position? That was his position, Dale said, looking at Theo and Steve. Now, are you two clear on what to do? Wait for you guys to get his teammates outside, then we stick Carl, Theo said, holding up Carl's first injection. Dale folded his arms. As he starts to doze, he'll look drunk. You guys help him to the restroom. And slip him out the back. We got it, Steve said. What I want to know is, how are you two going to get a first-string center and two offensive tackles to follow you outside so Theo and I can sneak Carl out? Earl grinned. It's the old rope-or-dope move followed by sleeping beauty. Steve shook his head. I have no idea what that means. Never mind that, Dale said, and looked at his watch. The trainees should be on stage by now, so we need to get on with that. You two, go get in your positions. Theo and Steve exchanged glances, then Steve said, Go dogs. Go dogs, Earl echoed. They strolled off toward the club, and Dale couldn't tell which one said it, but one of them whispered, They are so weird. Earl stuck fingers in his mouth and seemed to be exploring his gums. My teeth feel soft. The side effects should be on the thin side by now. Dale opened the truck's cab and pulled out some rags that he dampened a few minutes ago. They are. Just a few odd sensations left. He ran a hand over his chest. My nipples are sensitive. Dale sighed. Not necessary to share everything. Here. He handed the rags to Earl, who started wrapping them around his fists. He then stuffed one in his back pocket, eyeing his friend, who did not seem to be focused. Look, Earl, you good to do this? I don't want to get my clock cleaned by some college footballers because my partner was preoccupied with his nipples. Earl's eyes turned steely. I'm fine. And you leave my nipples out of this. You brought them up. Dale turned and headed to the club. Just never felt like this before, Earl said, falling in line behind Dale. Can't a man acknowledge a new sensation without judgment? Dale looked back. No. Fine, Earl snapped as they reached the entrance. God-awful thumping sounds escaped from the navy blue door. Before Dale could open it, it swung outward and a thin male stumbled out. His thick wool beanie pulled down over his eyes, and his long scarf scraped the ground. He exhaled, and a cloud of strawberry-smelling smoke filled Dale's nose. He moved past, taking another hit off his vape pen. Dale caught the door and stepped in. A few clouds hovered in the dim light, each one smelling of a different kind of berry. Nightclubs sure do smell pretty nowadays, Earl said. Dale winced as they moved toward the thumping beat. The music is still awful, though. They reached the end of the entrance corridor and stood on the edge of the main room. Not as big as Dale had expected. A reluctantly shaped den with twenty or so very trendy-looking tables and uncomfortable chairs. Less than half the seats were filled. Some patrons looking at the stage. Some not. A dozen young adults stood in front of the band, 
dancing or flailing or something or other. To either side, there were monitors showing images of wildlife predators taking down prey in all its gory details. Through the flashing lights and images, Dale tried to focus on the band members, but it was difficult to see through the dancers. The only thing he could determine was that Lana was not on stage. Dale wasn't interested in the she-wolf at the moment. He wanted to locate Carl and, more importantly, Carl's teammates. Can I help you gentlemen with something? Said a voice at Dale's right. Dale glanced over at a man who wore a baby blue tight-fitting tank top. The name of the club stenciled over his slightly puffed-out left pectoral. His arms were well-toned, but not like a nightclub bouncer would need, more like a yoga instructor. Dale's first instinct was to say, go fuck yourself. But then he felt Earl's hand on his shoulder, and his friend whispered, smile. Forcing his lips to curl upward on either side of his face, Dale said, we're fine. Blue tank top moved away, but Dale could feel the man's eyes on him. Deciding not to give a jackalope's fart, he turned back to Earl. He was going to tell him to wait by the door, but stopped short as he noticed Earl looking down at his chest, his fingertips making circles around his right nipple. Dale slapped Earl's hand. Stop that. Earl folded his arms. Do you think you could stop touching yourself long enough to do this? I'll do my part and you worry about yours. Dale had never felt this uncertain about Earl. Whenever they went into the fire, Earl was always in step with him. So much so, it was as if they were one. But right now, Dale was feeling way out of sync with his only friend. At another time, in another setting, it was something they could discuss over beer and a macho helping of heartburn-inducing nachos. But at the moment, they were standing in a den of beasts. And nachos were not on the menu. You say something about nachos? Earl said. What? No. I swear you just said something about... Hey, that must be Carl's teammates. Earl pointed to a table that could barely contain the three massive young men. They each had a forearm on the table, which left room for little else. Stay here, Dale said. I'll send him your way. You be ready. I'm ready, Earl said. You think I serve nachos here? Earl! Sorry. I'm ready. He didn't feel good about it, but he left Earl by the door, hoping he could stop focusing on nipples and nachos long enough to watch his back. Dale zigzagged between the tables, prepared to say, Excuse me, as he moved, but no one looked at him long enough for him to extend the gesture. Eyes were either focused on the unpleasant sounds extending outward from the stage or into a glowing handful of devices. As he approached a sizable portion of Fresno State's offensive line, he looked past them and glimpsed Carl huddled at the bar, his eyes locked on the stage. Steve and Theo were inching up on him, one at each side, getting into position. Carl didn't seem to notice, and if he did, Dale got the sense he wouldn't care. The young man seemed to be in another world, one run by a pack, and Dale got pissed off all over again for not noticing before how much of a hold the she-bitch had on him. He clenched a fist. Gentlemen, 
Dale said, in a voice that even the beasts on stage could hear. Three very beefy, pale, and round-eyed faces turned his way. Dale pointed at Earl. You all see that fellow over there? There were two nods and one grunt. Moving his focus from face to face, Dale said, See now, he told me that your mama gives his cousin hand jobs while your sister blows his dad once on Tuesdays and twice on Sundays. The three men stared back at Dale, as if he just asked them to solve a Chinese algebra problem. After an excruciatingly long moment, the one in the middle tilted his head like a lost dog and said, I don't have a sister. My cousin's back in Louisiana. His dad is overseas. I think you have the wrong table, sir. Dale rolled his eyes. Football players. Let me give this another go. That guy over there said the bulldogs suck. The three behemoths got to their feet as if their chairs were on fire. They stepped past Dale in single file, looking like a mountain range on the move. Earl, Dale shouted. Earl stopped playing with his nipples long enough to look up and take in the avalanche coming his way. Faster than most would ever give Earl credit for, he spun around and headed for the parking lot. Before he pursued, Dale looked at the bar and saw Steve stick Carl in the neck. The freshman running back appeared angry and animated for a second, then began to slump. With no more time to see how that part of the plan was going to play out, Dale turned away and headed for the door. He just caught sight of the Fresno State lineman turning the outside corner of the nightclub, heading straight for the back parking lot. He hoped Earl was keeping at least a truck length ahead of them. In his strange, un-Earl-like state, his friend wasn't in the right place to take all three. Luckily, the three players continued to walk single file as they marched toward the spot Dale suggested Earl lead them to. But, as they approached the spot, they abruptly slowed, like a herd of buffalo nearing a canyon wall. Dale stepped to the side and peered around them, checking to see if Earl was still in front. He was not. Damn it. A fast scan revealed no sign of Earl, and Dale was forced to momentarily wonder if he could subdue all three. Maybe he thought, but it would take luck, timing, and the reflexes of a much younger Dale. Crap on a cracker. Dale reached back and pulled out the rag from his ass pocket, but before he could do anything with it, Earl stepped out from behind a box truck and wrapped his hands around the football players in the caboose position. His left arm enveloped the player's chest while his right clamped hard over his face. The bulldog bucked, and Earl's feet came off the ground for a second, but only a second, as the chloroform did its work. Earl staggered with the player, who tried one last time to reach around and grab his attacker. In another second, it was over, and Earl lay the big boy down on the asphalt. Gently, but not silently. His teammates turned around, catching sight of Earl setting their fellow bulldogs noggin on the ground. Their pale complexions turned red, hot, and pissed. The two charged Earl like boulders in a rock slide. Earl brought his hands up, but not into fists. He held them out defensively, preparing to take the full force of their rage with the pleading palms of his hands. 
The first to reach Earl knocked his hands away like any good offensive lineman, then pushed him back against the nightclub wall. The impact was thunderous, and Dale imagined it could be felt on the inside. As the second player neared, Dale realized that neither of the football players had noticed him. He stepped quickly, came up behind the one raising a fist to bring down on Earl's face, and slapped a cloth-covered hand over his mouth and nose. Dale hadn't really gotten a good hold of him before he'd done that, and it proved to be an instant mistake. The player spun back to face Dale, and their bellies smacked into one another. Dale managed to reposition the rag under the player's nose, but not before a fist hit him in the solar plexus. Dale clenched his teeth and absorbed the impact like a defenseless punching bag. Dale could see another blow coming, and he shifted to try and take the punch in another spot. No such luck. The player's fist plowed into Dale, but at least it wasn't nearly as powerful as the first. The chloroform was taking its sweet time, but the big man was feeling the effects. Another punch was thrown, but the player's knees buckled at the same time. He went limp. Dale lunged forward to catch him, curling his arms under his armpits as he fell. Just when Dale thought the kid was out of fight, he lurched from the neck up. Dale took the headbutt square on the forehead. Son bitch. Dale stepped back, watched the kid tumble to the asphalt, and blinked away the white stars floating in his vision. Indigestion, triggered by the blows to the belly, burned up his esophagus as if he'd eaten two roadside chili dogs with all the fixings. The kind doctors would recommend not eating. Earl somehow managed to subdue the remaining bulldog and stepped over to Dale. He grinned. You okay? Dale steadied himself and glowered at Earl. Is that glass jaw in it? I took one to the forehead, and what the hell happened to Plan A? Plan A? Uh, which one were that again? You lead them out back, keep their eyes on you, I sneak up from behind, take them down one at a time. Quiet and stealthy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember that one now. That was a good one. We all do that next time. Dale half sighed, half belched. Old man, are you in there? Because I really need you now. We're about to pull into the station, and there ain't no time to change the destination. Earl's voice deepened. I'm fine. Just felt like a little warm-up tussle before the main event. Well, you really ought to let your partner know when you change things up. Uh, of course. You're right, Earl said, glancing down at his pecs. Red taillights illuminated their feet as Theo backed up his Prius. He parked it just a few feet away, and Dale could see Carl in the back, head resting on the window. Steve and Theo got out and met them at the first fallen bulldog. In teams of two, they worked on getting the football players inside Theo's hybrid. At times, it was like trying to pull off a reverse C-section. But after a good ten minutes and Steve flashing his campus security badge twice, none looked at it too hard, to discourage passerbys from getting involved, the deed was done. It wasn't pretty, and it was hard to tell where one lineman ended and another began. You two okay to get them into their rooms? Dale said. Yep, Steve said. 
I have a few off-duties, also on the alumni payroll. They're going to meet us down at the dorm. We should be okay. Alumni payroll? Theo said. Why would the alumni... Dale saw a flash of panic on Steve's face. Hey there, Dale said, stepping forward and placing a distracting hand on Theo's shoulder. I want to thank you for tonight, and apologies for anything I said that might have offended. Well, pretty much everything you say is offensive to somebody, but I don't care. This has been the most exciting thing that's ever happened to me. Are you sure you don't need more help? I could stay. Dale shook his head. This next part is going to involve a lot of pain. Mostly Earl and mine. So best you and Steve not be here. Hey, guys, Steve said. There are about 20 people in there. How are you going to keep them out of harm's way? I, um... Sort of did something about that. Theo interjected. What did you do? Dale said. I kind of mentioned to someone inside that they should be ready to clear the place out fast because there might be a fight. Ah, uh, Theo, Earl said. But that's it. I didn't mention the band or werewolves or nothing like that. Who did you tell? Dale said. Uh, Pooja? He's one of the owners. Wears a blue tank top, smells of ocean breeze body spray. I've known him, like, forever. Almost nine months. He's completely trustworthy. Dale shifted his gaze to Steve. Is that true? Steve nodded. Yes, he does smell like an ocean breeze. Dale sighed. Is he trustworthy? Well, Steve said. He is a bulldog fan. That'll have to do, Earl said. Go dogs. Oh, and uh, she's here. Lana. Steve said. I saw her step on stage as we were taking Carl out the back. It's good to know she showed, Earl said, glancing down. The hair on his arm had receded, but black stubble, three days beard growth, still plagued his forearm around the elbow and disappeared up his biceps. I hate getting stood up. After a quick goodbye, Theo and Steve headed back to campus in the filled-to-capacity Prius. Had it been an elevator, the cable would have snapped before they got out of the parking lot. Steve had given Dale the keys to his Camry when the two road-weary truckers moved across the parking lot. Dale was feeling iffy about the rest of their plan, the iffiest part being his partner. He wondered what was going through his friend's head. He didn't have to wonder long. What do you think men have nipples for, anyways? Will you shut up about your nipples, Dale snapped. Don't have to bark at me. Save that tone for folks you don't like, which seems to be everybody. As they arrived at Steve's car, Dale took a deep breath and prepared a thoughtful response. You're right. As for why men have nipples, it is a fascinating topic, one we should discuss at length at a different time and place preferably over beers. Many, many beers. And nachos. Yes, I imagine nachos will be involved. I accept your apology and don't think I missed the sarcasm neither. I didn't apologize, but moving on. What suit up? Dale popped open the trunk, reached in, 
and handed Earl some shoulder pads. Why do we need all this? Earl said. Thought we had immunity for a few hours. We do, Dale said. Immunity from being reinfected by a werewolf, not from being torn apart by one. Ah, that's an excellent point. Yeah, well, I get some wood on the ball every once in a while. Dale pulled out a bat, then slipped on a donut weight. He had pre-bent the silver steak knives he'd picked up at the pawn shop and wedged the handles between the weight and the bat. They stuck out from the wood at odd angles, creating a formidable mace, something Snake Plissken might fashion on the fly. They squeezed their heads into practice helmets covered with stick marks, which wrapped round both sides, a variety of paint colors from other helmets decorating the front. Combining football, baseball, and even hockey equipment, Dale and Earl assembled athletic body armor that made them look like very confused sports enthusiasts. Because of the small crowd in the club, they decided to forego bringing any firearms. It wouldn't do to help people by killing them with a stray bullet. After tucking away some of their more conventional silver-plated throwing blades, silver-spiked knuckle dusters, and the bowie knife Earl insisted on calling Betsy, Dale grabbed Earl's face mask. Ready? These pirates are chafing my Earl. If you say nipples one more time... I swear to God. Um, never mind. Earl slung a hockey stick over his shoulder with one hand and patted his sheathed knife with the other. Let's do this. They headed to the back entrance, the one Theo and Steve had escaped from with Carl. They filed into a hallway with Dale on point, closing the door behind them. Earl flipped the deadbolt. Even over the thumping music, Dale heard the bolt slide into place with a thunk. Dale tapped the bathroom doors with the bat, signaling for Earl to make sure they were clear. Earl stepped inside each one to make sure nothing was going to spring out behind them. He returned to the hallway, threw Dale a nod, then the two moved forward into the nightclub. They stepped into the main room. The air seemed thicker than before. Obviously, a smoke machine had been used in their absence. Part of the stage show, but that wasn't it. The room now seemed heavy, foul, unclean, and very much like Carl's dorm room. Even though the two men were behemoths and looked as if they had just stepped off a Mad Max movie set, they garnered little notice. The dancers continued to gyrate. Those at tables continued to stare at their handheld devices or the monitors around the stage. The bartender was busy asking female patrons what they wanted, and ignoring males and patiently tapping credit cards on the bar. The only one who seemed to notice them was Blue Tanktop. Dale expected him to come over, pull out a phone, and call the police, or something. But he didn't. What he did do took Dale by surprise. Without any preamble, he leaned over to the table nearest him, and whispered something to the couple sitting at it. The couple stood up fast and headed for the exit. Blue Tank Top repeated the process at the next table, and then the next. Dale grinned at Earl. Theo. With the place emptying out from the rear forward, Dale turned his focus to the stage. There were six figures arranged on the raised platform, two guitars, a bass, 
one keyboard, drums, and a she bitch standing in front of it all. Her arm, the one they'd snapped a few hours back, didn't have any kind of brace on it. She looked very much like she did when she sauntered out of Carl's bed, ungodly hairy, unkempt, and moving as if she didn't give a damn. Her wardrobe was straight out of Stevie Nick's playbook, and her hair found exotic ways to be visible, snaking out with a fabric parted and dangling like rainforest vines. The rest of the Lawn Cheney Juniors, four males and one female, pounded away on their instruments to the unsettling sounds of Lana's tortured vocals, a mishmash of words, no more than two or three at a time, and sounds, grunts, howls. It was like listening to one of Dr. Moreau's experiments trying to sing. They all moved to the edge of the dance floor. Dancers began to notice him and immediately left, where Blue Tank Top would then step in and show them the door. With only a few patrons left, Dale nodded to Earl, signaling that it was time for him to cover the front door. Dale then looked back at the stage, taking in the rest of the band. Only three others seemed to be as hairy as Lana. Both guitarists and the female keyboard player had huge mutton chops and lion-like manes that ran down their backs and over their faces in places. But the drummer and the bass player were looking extremely human. One was even bald, a man in his early fifties. Were there humans playing with these monsters? Time to find out. Dale picked up a chair and hurled it on the stage. The music stopped. Beady sets of lichen eyes turned toward Dale. Well, how do? Dale shouted. My name's Dale. That over there is my good friend Earl. You say hi, Earl. Howdy, Earl said, with a wave of his hockey stick. Now that introductions are out of the way, Dale continued, I'd like to say that we're here to break up the band. That's right, Earl added. We are your Yoko Ono. Dale looked over at Earl, eyebrows raised. Yeah, I'm sorry, Dale. It sounded way more intimidating in my head. Where is my pet? Came a gravelly voice that seemed to have to fight to piece together each syllable. Well, slap my ass and call me Sally. It speaks, which is amazing because you sure as hell can't sing. Huh, Earl said. Carl ain't yours no more, Dale said, locking eyes with Lana. But you don't have to worry about that or anything else because you and yours ain't leaving this room. Lana growled as her teeth grew and her claws descended from elongated fingertips. Dale swung the bat in a half circle and slapped it into his free hand. Now, before we get started, is there anyone human up there? Best you speak up now or die with the pack. The balding drummer stood up fast with a hand raised. Me? Uh, yeah, me too. The bass player dropped his instrument. Now, why in the world would you two... Uh, don't you know what they are? Earl said. They both nodded. We just taught him to play, man, and helped him pretend to be human, said the bass player. That's it. That's right, the drummer said. We had nothing to do with any killings or eating people, man. 
Nothing at all. Well, ain't you two just a couple of real saints, Earl said. How about we put that on your tombstones? Didn't have nothing to do with eating people. I got a family, the drummer said. I just needed these gigs. Do you know how expensive braces are? Dale pointed the bat at the trembling bass player. How about you? You got a family? He shook his head. But I really want one, you know, someday. Not soon, though, because uh, I'm just doing me right now. Dale had a trailer full of loathing for the dark things that preyed on mankind in the night. He'd seen mothers torn to pieces while still holding their children, screaming, and those shrill sounds of terror were never far from his mind. But he had a special kind of disgust for humans that helped make it possible. Humans that sold out their own kind, creatures that thought of us as cattle. But those assholes were not the mission. Saving Carl was. Get going, Dale said. Now! There was a slight hesitation as the two musicians looked at one another, and then to the transforming figures on stage. During all the chit-chat, the werewolves had turned into their half-animal, half-human form, growling. And the two men seemed to be wondering if their non-human bandmates were going to let them leave. They could easily open them up or snap their necks as the men began to sidestep by. But they didn't. The beasts just met their eyes as they passed, almost like dogs watching their owners leave for the day. When they stepped down onto the dance floor... They headed straight for the door, neither looking back. The bartender in blue tank top, the only other human still in the club, stood at the entrance to the tiny hallway that led to the front door. Dale nodded at them and said, Lock the door on your way out. The sound of the front door shutting filtered onto the dance floor, weaving its way through the smoke drifting across the stage and mixed nicely with the tearing of clothes the werewolf's human costumes fell away. And then there were four, Earl said. Which ones you want? I'll take the two ugly ones, Daryl said. You're gonna have to be a little more specific. Lana stepped forward, claws raised, and through pointy teeth forced a single human word. Die. Well, that's enough chit-chat. Dale raised the bat and rushed the stage. The other female lichen leapt. Dale tried to deflect the attack with the handle of the bat, but he didn't shift in time. Teeth sunk into one of the hockey gloves, and he felt the pressure on his hand as the creature bit deep. Just as the fangs penetrated the glove, one of Earl's throwing knives thumped into the creature's neck. The werewolf dropped at Dale's feet. Hairy, clawed hands grasping at the knife handle. Dale wasted no time. He swung the bat down and buried two of the six-inch silver knife blades into the werewolf's skull. One through an eye socket, the other through the temple. The beast writhed, legs kicking out, knocking over chairs. Dale put a boot on the thing's neck and pulled the bat free, making sure that the blades did more damage coming out than going in. He was going to bring the bat down again, but saw two of the creatures bound in Earl's direction. Earl hooked one around the belly with the hockey stick and used its own momentum to hurl it across the room. It flew as if it were part bird, crashing snout first into the bar. 
Liquor bottles crashed to the floor in a storm of broken glass and colorful liquids. The other werewolf hit Earl hard, and they went down in a tangle of hairy limbs, athletic equipment, and a cloud of Earl-spawned obscenities. Dale had to make a quick decision. The werewolf that hit the bar was dazed, and he needed to capitalize on that immediately. But that meant turning his back on Lana, still on the stage, and leaving Earl to wrestle on the dance floor. And Earl was not at his best on the dance floor, dancing or fighting on his back. Dale had to trust that his friend could handle it. He'd been in worse spots. They both had. Pushing down with practiced force, Dale thrust his boot hard, hearing and feeling two cracks of bone. The beast at his feet stopped moving, and Dale moved toward the bar. The creature Earl had flung into the bar had just reached its feet when Dale hit it. It was a full helmet-to-helmet spearing tackle, the kind that now gets players thrown out of the game, fined, and suspended. Dale didn't know if it was the situation or the football equipment he was wearing that inspired his attack, but he instantly regretted it. There was a pop in his shoulder, searing pain in his neck, and worst of all, he dropped his bat. Shit. Dale threw off his hockey gloves and brought up his fists, a silver spiked knuckle duster on each. The werewolf, holding its side, cradling broken ribs, leaned against the bar. Dale smashed his right fist into the creature's head, aiming for an eye socket. Blood and hair flew as its head snapped to one side, before Dale could follow with another blow. The beast lashed its clawed hand open-palmed at Dale's face. Dale bombed to the side and almost avoided the attack, but its elongated fingers unintentionally clasped Dale's face mask. It immediately tightened its grip, then pulled Dale in. A fish in a net. The smell of whiskey, beer, and fruity-flavored margarita mix filled the shrinking space between them as Dale used his left fist to work on the creature's broken ribs. A clawed hand slashed across Dale's midsection, slicing through the baseball catcher chest guard, the tips of its claws grazing his flesh. Dale knew another slash at his midsection would cause the hoagie he'd had for dinner to spill out onto the barroom floor. He needed distance. Now. Flipping off the chin strap, Dale thrust himself backward and violently pulled his head free of the helmet, leaving some skin and some precious follicles from his deteriorating hairline. He nearly fell but steadied himself on the bar. He got a forearm up just in time to block the helmet swinging wildly at his head. It bounced off his arm just as Dale reached over the bar and grabbed the blender's pitcher with its thick, heavy glass, and hurled it at the beast. It hit the creature directly on the snout. Dale heard teeth and bone crack as the heavy glass hit the floor. Dale took a second, stood up, and admired his handiwork. That's when Lana hit him. He took the blow on the side, same side as his bad shoulder. Lana drove him up onto the bar and he tumbled over it with all the grace of a 250-pound man clad in a mishmash of sports equipment could afford. He broke the fall with his face and good shoulder, now rapidly becoming his worst shoulder, and rolled up onto one knee faster than a jackrabbit with its tail on fire. He was immediately thankful that he hadn't stood up all the way, 
as Lana took a swipe at his head. He hunkered out of the way, but she nicked his ear, slicing through cartilage. The bar creaked under the stress of Lana climbing on top, sounds that told Dale he had less than a second to find something useful. One hand searched the bar's interior while the other grasped at the ground, pushing through wet, broken glass that cut into his fingers. And then? Well, shit. Even a blind hog finds an acorn every once in a while. Dale didn't question his luck. He just grasped the handle of his bat, brought it up as he stood, and used it to block Lana's next strike. She lashed out again, one foot on the bar, the other scratching the wood at its base. Dale blocked it as well, and this time he made sure her hand contacted a blade. It wasn't a perfect counter, but one of the silver knives extending from the bat slid across her wrist. She howled as she fell off the bar, landing back on the outside. She slapped her hands down on the bar, met Dale's gaze, and roared. It was a predator's gesture of dominance, an attempt at intimidation. Dale was far from intimidated and only saw opportunity. He pushed forward through the rank breath, soured by rage, and with a swift motion, he brought the bat down on Lana's hand, impaling the claws to the bar. Her free hand immediately lashed forward at Dale's neck. He retreated out of the way, but saw that the other werewolf, broken snout, cracked ribs, and bleeding from one eye, was coming over the bar. Dale had nowhere to move. Each direction had claws. He looked over at Earl on the dance floor, who was on his back, a werewolf sitting on his belly, claws raised. Two of Earl's knives were buried in its shoulder, but it didn't seem to be slowing it down. Earl, would you stop playing with that one? Dale yelled. I got a situation over here. I'm tussling as fast as I can, Earl yelled as the beast swung at his head. Earl caught the hand, his fingers intertwined with hairy claws. It looked for a second like they were about to play a round of mercy. Then, the beast thrust its open mouth forward and bit into the football helmet's face mask and started thrashing like a shark, tearing away a hunk of meat. Dale was wondering if there was any way he could get over there to help when he caught sight of Betsy and Earl's free hand. Earl thrust the enormous bowie knife up with lightning speed. The beast stiffened, then trembled slightly as Earl forced the blade upward, entering under the jaw, traveling through the brain, and descending to the top of the skull. The pointy half of Betsy stuck up out of the beast's broken skull like a unicorn's horn, although nowhere near as magical-looking. The werewolf with the broken snout landed on Dale's side of the bar, growling. Glass cracked under its weight. Dale stepped back and felt Lana's free claw raking down his back. Not deep, but enough to leave scars. He moved forward again, getting out of reach, then grabbed a wine bottle off the shelf. A cheap Chardonnay. He hurled it at the thing's chest. It thumped hard, but didn't break until it hit the floor. It staggered the beast for a second, so Dale reached for another bottle. A George DeKell's number 12 Tennessee Whiskey. 90% proof. He put that one back reverently, then reached for another Chardonnay. 
The wine bottle crashed into the creature's head with a thunk. It brought a hairy hand to its head as it wobbled like the town drunk come Sunday morning. Dale glanced back at Earl to see how close his friend was to taking one of these things off his hands, but Earl was still on his back. His friend had pushed the dead beast off him, but was now rocking back and forth like an upended turtle, an enormous, overweight, covered in sports equipment, very out of shape, upended turtle. Earl, I'm coming, goddammit! He shouted as he rolled, grunted, then rolled some more. Lana had turned her attention to the knife pinning her to the bar and was pulling at the bat with her free hand. Somehow she had pulled the weight loose from the bat and the bent knives tumbled free onto the bar. Dale reached for the Louisville slugger as she ripped the knife pinning her free with a howl. Before Dale could get a grip, Lana hurled the bat across the room. Shit. Lana jumped onto the bar, landing on all fours. Dale could feel the other one behind him. He was stuck between a rock and a bigger, meaner, uglier rock. And both rocks had claws. Dale eyed the silver knives in the bar, but didn't think he could get to one before Lana was on him, so he reached for a bottle. A chair shattered against the bar right next to where Lana crouched. All eyes, werewolf and human alike, turned toward Earl. Now, Dale, you ain't been flirting with my date, have you? Earl stood on the edge of the dance floor. I am ashamed to admit it, but you know how I'll go for them exotic types. Earl hurled another chair, this time at Lana's head. The beast moved, and the chair sailed over her and took out a set of trendy cocktail glasses. I hope you have given your heart to Jesus, you egg-sucking bitch, cause your ass is mine. Dale snatched two of the bent knives and held one in each hand. I believe my friend asked you to dance. She snapped at Dale, biting the air, saliva dripping on the bar, then turned back to Earl and launched. Lana bounded from one table to the next, then rose into the air and dived at Earl. Dale really wanted to watch and see how that would turn out, but he had his own hairy problem to deal with. He whirled around to face the other werewolf. It rose up high, and with a bent and damaged snout, it bared its teeth. And that's when Dale saw something in its eyes. Maybe this was the first time the creature had ever stood toe-to-toe with a human, not paralyzed by shock and fear. Or maybe this was the moment that occurs in most fights. The moment when one party realizes that things have gone south in a big way, and it was time to think of self-preservation and survival. Dale could see it in the thing's blood-soaked eyes. It was going to bolt. As if it hadn't sustained any wounds, the creature leapt over the bar, landing on a table, and lunged for the entrance. Damn it! Dale pushed himself over the bar as his new injuries combined with the thousands of miles already on his body all screamed in opposition. He landed not at all with cat-like grace on the other side. The beast had tried to frog hop from table to table, as Lana had, but the second one gave way, and it fell to the floor, giving Dale just enough time to catch it. Dale tackled it from the back as it tried to get up, and it landed face first on the floor. 
It howled as Dale sat on its back, pinning it with all his weight. The beast whimpered under the sound of more of its ribs cracking, and it clawed toward the door only a few yards from freedom. Dale didn't like having to put down a wounded animal, but since he was the one who had wounded it in the first place, he decided he was okay with it. He thrust the silver blades deep into the back of its skull and sat on it till it lay still. Rolling off the thing, Dale took a deep breath and started the slow process of standing up. As he rose, he saw Earl make a deadly slash with Betsy. Stepping closer, Dale had to admire his friend's moves, thinking that for the first time since he'd known him, he didn't look completely awkward on the dance floor. Although not graceful and bleeding from both arms and his side, Earl was in his element, and Lana was in her final moments. Obviously, with severed tendons, Lana dragged one leg, and her right arm hung useless. Earl slammed her to the ground and grabbed hold of her scalp. The beast roared one final time as Earl stuck Betsy all the way through her neck, twisted, and then sliced forward, her esophagus and other neck pipes exposed in a gaping wound. Earl snapped what was still clinging to her body and freed Lana's head. The husk fell forward with a splat. Dale made his way through toppled tables and chairs. You enjoy the show? Earl said, watching Dale approach. Huh, what can I say? I like watching you dance. Dale held out his hand. You don't mind if I borrow that? Earl flipped the knife around and handed over Betsy, handle out. Dale flipped over Lana's dead, hairy, deformed body with his boot. He quickly slashed the belly and opened the cavity with the efficiency of a coroner. Finding the stomach, he opened it up and reached in, digging through the contents. It took a few seconds, but he found what he was looking for. Standing back up, he slipped on his wedding ring. Normally, it was a little tight, but with the amount of crimson lubrication on Dale's hand, it slid into place nicely. Earl glared at him. What? You do know we're going to have words about this. Dale sighed. I figured, but later. We needs to get going. In a few minutes, the four dead werewolves were going to revert to their natural-born state. And to the outside world, it looked like they'd just killed four people. Naked people. But still four people. And normal, nice, polite, non-werewolf-killing society tended to frown on that. Agreed, Earl said. I do not look good in an orange onesie. Grabbing what equipment they brought, they moved to the rear exit. Before they got to the door, Dale noticed that, besides a large hockey stick... Earl held a plate of nachos in his right hand. Put the nachos down. Well, he'll just go to waste. Earl, I'm starving. They got meat on him? No. Maybe. A little. Drop him, Dale said, reaching the back door. Well, I didn't have none. Dale pushed the door open, looking back. Is that nacho cheese on your lip? Freeze, assholes! Screamed one of the many police officers standing just outside the rear door, aiming their service revolvers at Dale. 
Patrol cars filled the back parking lot. Earl dropped his nachos. Part 7 When Assholes Freeze and Emoticons Are your handcuffs chafing you? No, Earl, mine are downright comfortable. I'm thinking about getting a pair. Wow, you are just all kinds of sarcastic grumpy tonight. Earl squatted on the curb, his knees up against his belly. I'm just trying to come up with something to reckon all this to the law. I don't want to call in any more favors. I'm running low as it is. Hey, what do you think Blue Tank Top is over there saying to the cops? Earl said. The owner, Theo's friend, was speaking with the arresting officers using lots of hand gestures. Don't know, but he sure is expressive. After a minute, the officers waved at two other cops who bent down and helped Dale and Earl to their feet. Once up, they escorted them across the parking lot and to the nightclub's back entrance, where Theo's friend was giving his report. I'm sorry, fellas, said the Fresno police officer who, only 20 minutes ago, held them at gunpoint. He undid the cuffs. We got a call saying the two guys came in and attacked the band. Yes, but I told them what really happened, the owner, Pooja, said, smiling with perfect white teeth. You did. Earl scratched his head. Step this way, said the officer, gesturing inside the club. Dale and Earl followed him inside with Pooja one step behind. Closing his eyes as they walked, Dale tried to come up with something that would explain why they just executed four people. I guess a big thank you is in order, the officer said. Dale opened his eyes and looked down, expecting to see four naked, blood-covered, and very dead bodies littering the club. But instead... How they got in here is a mystery, but if you two hadn't put them down, who knows what could have happened. Wolves. Four bloody wolves lay dead on the floor. And not half-human, half-canines. Just average wolves. I was pretty sure these things were extinct in North America, the officer said. These ones sure are here, Earl said, chuckling. Looking at Earl, the cop did not seem to get the joke. I mean, yeah, Earl said. Me too. We've had some people go missing in the last few weeks. Kids, mostly. One was the police chief's nephew. I'm sorry to hear that, Dale said. The cop gestured toward the dance floor. We found some jewelry and human remains in the one you opened up over there. And if it wasn't for these two gentlemen, Pooja put a hand on Dale's shoulder, we could have had another tragedy right here tonight. Yeah, the officer said, looking at Dale and Earl with a suspicious eye, the kind all good cops have. Well, I gotta go tell the chief what's happened here. I am not looking forward to that. You two probably ought to get to the hospital. You're bleeding all over the floor. Will do, sir. The officer stepped away, taking out his smartphone. Dale and Earl looked at Pooja, both trying to express gratitude without jumping up and down like school kids who just found out it's a snow day. I don't know what to say, 
they all said. Pujar looked over at the cops, seemingly making sure they were out of earshot. He lowered his voice. I was sick to death of those goddamn reverse werewolves squatting in my club. Not good for business when the band feeds on your patrons. A reverse werewolf, Earl said. Wolves would turn into people. We ever heard of such a thing? Dale shook his head. I'm definitely not looking into it when I get the chance. Damn, we are so late. Still gotta pick up my cab, then drop this shit off. It's alright. I don't like San Francisco anyhow. Smells funny. Earl tossed their logbooks on the dash. That sure was awful nice of Stephen Theo to pick us up at the ER. Didn't want to slip out of town without saying bye, Earl said, looking at his stitches. Hey, how many do you get? Seventy-six, I think, Dale said. <laughs> Eighty-four, I win. It's not really the kind of contest you want to win, Earl. Dale downshifted as they approached the Bay Area port. Don't care. While when? When we stop for coffee, you're buying. Oh, that reminds me. Are you going to tell me what your usual drink is at Candy's Coffee Shop, or am I going to have to ask Miss Candy herself? I'll make a deal with you, Romeo. I'll tell you about the drink. If you tell me why you lied to your best friend about your wedding ring. Mostly to avoid this conversation? You can possibly still have feelings for that woman. She shot at you. Tried to stab you. Twice. Hell, she set your truck on fire. I don't expect you to understand foreplay. Our relationship is... complicated. You call her Bitchzilla. And I do so with deep affection. She is the mother of my son. Dale, if you're going to keep filling my tank with shit like that, we're going to need to pull over. Dale was quiet for a moment as he looked at the silver wedding ring on his finger. It didn't shine like the day he bought it. The sparkle was gone, and the engraving had faded. He removed it from his finger and stuck it in his vest pocket. I honestly don't know why I kept it, Earl. Maybe if I had any idea, I could move on. Start something new. But maybe I just don't want to. It is much easier to gut monsters than to start all over again. Starting from scratch is like changing churches. The end game is the same, but the rules are always a bit different. Amen, brother, Dale said. Speaking of new beginnings, it's your turn. My turn? Your usual. What is it? Earl let out a long sigh, like someone who just realized they left their wallet at home after driving all the way to work. Before I tell you, I would like a little credit for stepping outside the everyday habit we all get into of doing the same old things over and over. Oh, quit stalling. What the hell is it? Fine, Earl barked. It's a non-fat soy chai latte, and I find them delightful. Dale sat for a moment, trying to picture Earl drinking... What? Whatever the hell that was. What, no comment? Earl said. Dale shook his head slowly. I'm speechless. Well, hell, if I'd have known it would have rendered you speechless, I'd have started drinking them years ago. Earl's phone chirped, 
indicating a new text. He pulled the smartphone from his pocket. Scandy. She says, heard from Carl today. He's doing fine. Thank you so much. I owe you big time. Dot, dot, dot. Heart emoticon. Oh, yeah. What do you think it means? I think it means she's grateful, Dale said. Well, I got that. I mean the heart emoticon. Women don't just go throwing heart emoticons around to anybody. Dale rolled his eyes. I don't know. Why don't I find you a group of 14-year-old girls and you all can order up some of them child lattes and talk about it? Oh! Earl threw his hands in the air. There it is. Judgment. You're just jealous that I got to sweetie. And you're a lonely old sourpuss. Can it, Earl? Jelly, jelly. Swear to God, I will turn into oncoming traffic. Oh, you so jelly. The End You've been listening to Part 2 of Candy with a K by Kevin David Anderson. For Part 1 of Candy with a K, be sure to check out Horror Hill Season 3, Episode 24. And that is the episode right before this one. I'd like to personally thank you for joining me for this episode of Horror Hill. Don't forget to tune in again next week when I yet again regale you with a handful of tales to terrify, plumb from the most depraved depths of the human imagination. Candy with a K was written by and presented courtesy of Kevin David Anderson. Anderson's debut novel, The Geeky Cult Zombie Romp, Night of the Living Trekkies, is a funny, offbeat novel exploring the pop culture carnage that ensues when the undead crash a Star Trek convention. His latest book, Midnight Men, The Supernatural Adventures of Earl and Dale, was inspired by the short story Green Eyes and Chili Dogs, produced by yours truly, Jason Hill, and heard on my own YouTube channel and on the Simply Scary Podcast Season 3, Episode 6. Anderson's stories have appeared in over a hundred publications and on fantastic podcasts such as The Drabblecast, Pseudopod, The No Sleep Podcast, Horror Hill, and The Simply Scary Podcast. Additionally, he is an active member of the Horror Writers Association and currently works in special education. For more information on him, visit kevindavidanderson.com. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to me. If you'd like to hear more lengthy tales, be sure to take a look at my audiobooks, available now on audible.com. If you'd like to hear a premium ad-free edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com, where you can become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive, dating back to 2012 including past episodes of this program, all of our other shows, 
and hundreds of standalone releases, all of them ad-free and available to download or stream. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You'll find me personally on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Until next week, listener, when we meet up once again atop the Horror Hill for another Dance with Darkness. I bid you good night. Sleep tight, listener. And whatever you do, if you hear scratching at your door, don't open it. The darkness may have found you, but it's up to you to let it in. You've been listening to Horror Hill, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, as well as a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Jason Hill unless otherwise noted. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Sound design, original music, and final mixing and mastering provided by Felipe Ojeda under the guidance of executive producer and director Craig Groshek. The program's logo was created by Craig Groshek, and this week's artwork provided by Omega Black, unless otherwise noted. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at horrorhill at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tone considered for production in a future episode of the show. If you enjoyed what you've heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and Horror Hill on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every week. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or request. If you can never get enough spooky stories and can't wait until next week for more, and haven't already, be sure to check out Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on YouTube for hundreds of free audio horror stories, including more performances from yours truly, and consider supporting us by becoming a patron at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com. In addition to helping us out, You'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next week with more frightening fiction to haunt your dreams. Until next time, I'm Jason Hill, and you've been listening to the Horror Hill Podcast. Good evening, and sweet dreams. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. 
Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. 